Because I played with a dude one time who had an elf named Darthonion, but if you looked at it, it was Darth Onion. <laughs> Man, they really phoned it in in the later West End games years. <laughs> Live from the Mundangerous IMAX Theater in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 169 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about adapting characters from other media to your games. But first the rogue traders meet an old friend in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, Tracer zips into Overwatch Tober in the Character Creation Forge. Uh, she just made it through, right? Like sliding under the uh, stone door as it like closes in the temple right under the cutoff the thing is though she manipulates time so she could have been late and still would have made it you know i think she's been here the whole month and just didn't want to bother uh, that's probably it so shane faithful listener len put out an offer to us that i couldn't refuse yeah you're joining a play-by-post game huh I'm super excited because he heard previously you were in a play-by-post game run by uh, Matt Perotti, which is intense and a lot, uh, and I'm in no play-by-post game, uh, down from seven, like two years ago. Yep. Uh, so Len is going to run Waterdeep Dragon Heist, and I'm going to play in it. I don't know what I'm going to do yet, but I think, I think, do you remember how when Volo's Guide came out and we were running through the races and we were like, ah, you know what sucks? Kenku. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Good, I'm glad you already knew. Yeah, I know where you're going with this. Play-by-post is like the only time I feel like you can play Kenku and do it well because you've basically got a list of all the things your character has ever heard said. And you don't have to sit there at the table and like pretend to mimic it. You can just go copy and paste it and then say what what voice it's in, right? (laughs) And you don't have to sit there with like, I don't know, a phone and a soundboard which I don't know, I feel like it's hilarious for like half a session. And then everyone's like, okay, we get it. Just like, you know, translate for us. Like uh, do a do a 13th warrior thing where like now we know what you're saying. Yeah, this feels like it's going to be a lot of work, but uh, Godspeed. I am that guy, always about making too much work for myself. <laughs> right. You know, I have, a, I have a podcast. I don't know if you I, know that. I, yeah, <laughs> I do too. It was supposed to be less work than a blog. <laughs> I don't know what you were thinking. Stupid stupid all right uh so this week's episode is brought to you by legion of renab it's a weekly comedy DD podcast with a focus on making each other laugh more than pushing an epic story though there's a fantastical journey going on in between the goofs you know i bet these guys thought that uh it wasn't going to be that much work yeah probably <laughs> i bet they're figuring it out now so you can join lifelong friends clark tony winston bobby and chris as they explore the continent of Renab, running into kobolds, medusas, and the occasional deity. I hope they're not running directly into the medusa. Yeah, um, uh, very well, they won't, the, it's tough to run directly into the medusa. You kind of get like within 30 feet and then stop suddenly. Do you feel like if you got enough of a running start and went at a medusa, then you get a good look at her and you turn to stone, but conservation of momentum should mean that now there's a heavy stone statue flying directly at her. Yeah, but it's all about that jump speed, right? Because like once you once you get your jump distance started, then you stay in motion. But if you don't jump before you turn to stone, you're ruined. 
you know, though, once you're petrified, I think your speed drops to zero, which means I think you you halt right in midair, right? You can't oh, move man. anymore because you're out of speed. That's what the rules say. So then would you take the damage uh, equivalent to a fall as your m- momentum was immediately reduced to zero from like a speed of 60 feet in around? You are immediately decelerating, which is exactly like hitting the ground. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> that's how I Here, want to die. Here's how you kill Medusa is jump on top of them and make sure you get a good look at them before you land right because gravity is going to continue that that fall for you well does a medusa turn you to petrified or does it actually turn you to stone i think it depends on the rule set i believe you are turned to stone and then therefore subject to the petrified Petrified condition Mm, interesting that could be problematic i guess if you're stone though you could take the hit (laughs) (laughs) you're right i have resistance to all damage including (laughs) falling on medusas right Anyway, <laughs> Legion of Renov uh, features adventurers such as Cramwell, a half-elf bard cleric who hails from the glorious East East Empire. Uh, you should have heard of it by now. After leaving bard school, completely on his own volition, Cramwell eventually found himself donning regular clerical garb and performing regular clerical duties. Regularly. His favorite pastimes include drinking and trying new things. This show isn't for all ages, but if you're an adult who likes role-playing, <laughs> Kiwatoa, pirates, ninjas, samurai, magic, animorphs... Wait, hang on. An adult who likes animorphs? I mean, who doesn't like Kuatoa? <laughs> wait, 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 how do animorphs fit in here? Oh, tangents. That's why. <laughs> That's the next thing in this list. Tangents. Weirdos, treasure, and cat people. Then the Legion of Renob is for you. You know, I bet it's for you even if you don't like all those things. Yeah, it should, it should be like if you like any of those things, right? It should have been yeah. an or, not and. Yeah, guys, come on. But it's available every Tuesday, wherever podcasts can be found or at legionofrenob.com. Tuesday is a good day for podcasts to come out because it is not the day our podcast comes out. And that's Renob, R-E-N-O-B. All right, speaking of tangents and weirdos, Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted Campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And on the Dead World Malajak, the Rogue Traders have reached an accord with rival Rogue Trader, Lord Captain Duhan Roth, and finally have a chance to escape the Inquisition service and this throne-forsaken planet. Finally. You know, I bet as soon as we get off this planet, we're finally going to end up on a world that's really lovely and nice and that we enjoy being on yeah well so that's sort of the deal right like uh if you recall um draco met his untimely but not undeserved death it might have been very timely i don't know (laughs) and then you and roth agree to a joint venture on one of his fledgling colonies in exchange for uh, roth springing the his enduring light from the inquisition service right now this was a big moment for Trank, because we are bedraggled and tired and down, what, 90% casualties? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Roth and all of his men are still very fresh. And Roth's gunslinger, uh, what was his name? Ringo. Ringo. Yeah. His, his desperado. Ringo yeah. blows Draco's head off with an Inferno pistol. Very nice looking Inferno pistol, I might add. Um, well, hang on. All Inferno pistols are nice looking Inferno pistols. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying I covet it. this is this is plot hooks plot hooks right (laughs) uh and rather than retaliating trank once again just like with the war truck signals to the armsmen not to take the shot we are not retaliating here 
we're here to make a deal. And what a great deal it was. Yeah, so you guys spend a lot of time haggling over minute details, profit splits, payback periods, all that sort of nonsense. Uh, Like, there was so much haggling. (laughs) Like, you guys kind of lost sight of the fact that this was a role-playing game and, like, got really into the details, even though it's all abstracted out in the system later anyway. It's all about making sure Roth knows that he doesn't own us. Right. (laughs) You guys would be murder at a used car lot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, we're also heavily armed. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So at the end of this, um, your character, Archmilitant Trank, hears this sobbing whisper in his head. Help me. This isn't the first time I've heard weird stuff in my head. We heard the Company 6 chant a little earlier but kind of dismissed it as you know the willies Mm. well you're gonna hear it again (laughs) yeah here it comes because you and seneschal tricks begin hearing that old familiar tune uh and of course as you mentioned this uh almost always foretells either battle or death in the verza house so track and tricks alert flare our resident warp touched psyker uh, and the three of us move forward carefully we eventually determine that the weirdness is coming from one of the wagons that the inquisition brought with roth and his armsmen and then the voice returns and it's it's pleading i'm sorry i tried to warn you but it was too hard from such a distance please help me kill me so we approach the wagon and flare conjures a small dust storm in order to distract the guards and the three of us open the door and, and climb into the wagon, close the door behind us. And as you shine a light into the dark corner at the back of the wagon, you all shudder in disgust and sympathy. And you hear in your in your mind, please end it. And we'll find out what we do next week. So this week, we are talking about adapting characters from media. Stealing. Stealing characters from other stuff, mm-hmm. right? That's exactly what we're doing. Mm-hmm. It's basically what we do in the character creation forge every single week. Yeah, so that's where this comes from, right? This is one of the most common questions we get is, how do I adapt this character for that game? It's the whole premise of the character creation forge, and it's what we like to do, and it's what you guys tend to listen to, so we thought we'd talk a little bit about that process. Yeah, we are are nearing 200 character creation forge builds, um, I never expected to actually build that many. I think it was around 30 when I was like, man, are we going to run out of things to build? Because this is, this is a lot. This is a lot. I don't know. Yeah. If we didn't have other places to rip things off from. <laughs> right. <laughs> like video games, right. for example. All right. So the big question is, what is it that makes a character feel like the character that it's based on when you're playing it at the table? And I think... Probably the the biggest one, especially uh, when you are trying to really closely recreate a particular character, is iconic abilities. Like if you want to build Goku, then you've got to be able to have a Kamehameha. You've got to be really good at hand-to-hand combat. Yeah, like you can't build Wolverine without claws coming out of your hands. <laughs> like, And probably also like regeneration. You might be able to get away with like not being able to smell things really well. Right. Um, there are also iconic events associated with characters, right? Like, you can't really have Conan 
Um, if you haven't traveled the world as a barbarian, getting into all of these different um, situations and, you know, facing sorcerers and sorceresses and ancient curses and um, piles of treasure buried in cursed ruins and all of this stuff. This also doesn't have to be mechanical necessarily. You know, a lot of the reason that you're going to be stealing characters is because you like the way that they act. You like the person that they are, um, their hopes and dreams and personalities and, and the things that they say to liven the mood. So, like, if you're going to play, let's say, Sterling Archer from Archer, uh, he's pretty much just a regular super spy with plot armor, right? Like, mm-hmm. he's not that difficult to build. If we were going to build him in, uh, say, Knights Black Agents, he's just really anyone uh, because that game is all about building super spies. But it's his personality. It's the it's the quirks and the quips uh, and his outlook about how he approaches situations that really makes him Archer. And also that he hates Barry. Yeah, you got You got to pick a rival. <laughs> uh, you've also got to, you know, grossly disrespect the head of HR or accounting. What's Cyril? Accounting? He's accounting. Well, I mean, isn't Pam HR? So yes, Pam is HR. Also, also yes. <laughs> uh, and hate your mom, but also love your mom. Love your mom. <laughs> um, and then likewise, like you know, as you mentioned, the outlook and sort of motivation that kind of intersects with those personality quirks are important too. So. Um, you know, you've got characters like Jack Sparrow, for example, where like he is the epitome of chaotic, right? Like chaotic neutral freedom is his entire thing, right? Um, and nothing like every decision he makes is motivated by that desire to escape like any type of um, responsibility or, or any type of like legal um, hold over him. And then there are also characters who are defined by um, their schemes, their uh, particular goals, and the way they plan to carry out those goals. So if you think about like Lex Luthor versus Tony Stark, they're kind of the same archetype, right? Like brilliant inventor scientist with no powers. Uh, But Tony's a a good guy, or at least he's a hero, not necessarily a good person. Uh, And he makes himself some armor and goes and saves the world. Uh, Lex Luthor is a bad guy and wants to make a bunch of money and makes himself some armor and tries to, mm, well, not destroy the world, I guess, but destroy Superman. Tony puts the Avengers together. Lex Luthor puts the Legion of Supervillains together. I'll have to believe you. They called themselves the Legion of Supervillains? Legion of Doom, actually. That's what they called themselves, the Legion of Doom. I would have assumed that Dr. Doom put together the Legion of Doom, but I guess Dr. Dr. Doom wasn't a DC hero. (laughs) Small, small problem. <laughs> also, their base is in a swamp in Louisiana. Oh, sweet. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> They're like the Dreadnoughts from G.I. Joe. Oh, my God. You're totally right. I forgot about them. I totally <laughs> forgot about them. I'm going to forget about them again right now. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> Likewise, you can have the heroic schemes as well, right? Like the the main character of the Gentleman Bastard series by Scott Lynch, Locke Lamora, is always pulling various schemes and games trying to rob rich nobles of their fortunes. Um, those types of things you can put into place as your um, kind of adaptation as well. And then there are relationships. You know, you don't necessarily need to copy wholesale a particular named character. You can just take inspiration from... Um, you know, their position in the world or like their um, 
ties to other characters that you're going to create in your world. Uh, you know, if a, a character's main motivation is that they are the seventh son and will inherit nothing and that's why they're out adventuring, great. You can easily port that over into a game. Right. And if they're the seventh son of a seventh son, oh boy. Well, yes, they're opening the portal. <laughs> they have been faded. So you want to take all of those, like, character elements, right, and kind of divide them into into the three categories that sort of make up an RPG character. And, and this is true whether it's a PC or an NPC. But you've got abilities, you've got backstory, and then you've got personality. So your abilities are the things that, like, your character does when she shows up at the table. They usually involve rolling dice and, you know, reading a rule book and that type of thing. Right. It's also the back end stuff um, that we do in the first part of the character creation forge, which is, you know, what is the build? What are the abilities that they're going to be able to to have, like mechanically speaking, their attacks and their spells and, and their defenses? Right. Then you want to think about their backstory. How is it that that character is tied to the world around her? It may be exactly like the inspiration or it may just be inspired by it. And this usually includes the motivations that uh, put the character on the path to become an adventurer or to become part of whatever story you're actually telling at the table. Yeah, and then a lot of this can also be part of the world building, right? So either you need to, you have an established setting and you need to tie in that backstory to comparable places in the setting. Um, so, you know, if you're a member of a, of a spy organization, well... Um, you know who has a great spy organization in Neberon? Uh, Breland. So maybe you're a lamplighter, right? Um, whereas, like, you know, if you're just a uh, a pirate or something like that, maybe you're from the Lazar Principalities. That's where you come from. Or uh, if the if the setting is more malleable, then you you can take that opportunity to define a little area of the world, right? That sort of allows you to place your backstory um, a little less adapted, a little more wholesale, right? So um, maybe there is an organization called, well, it's not ISIS anymore, but what is what is Archer's <laughs> the, company's? The biggest detective agency. <laughs> yeah, the biggest detective agency, right? <laughs> like, maybe that's a thing that does exist in your world if that is uh, enough on theme. Yeah, in a game like Dungeon World, you could do the complete opposite of adapting and just rip it wholesale. And what's over the next hill? Uh, well, <laughs> Los Angeles in 1930. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much what, what uh, Archer writers are doing right now. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and the next hill? Space. Well, that's because Archer's in a coma. <laughs> <laughs> Forever. For the rest of the show. <laughs> then you've got probably the last element that really affects how your character plays at the table and affects if they really feel like the character that you're taking inspiration from. And that's their personality. Um, you already determine like where they came from and what their goal or motivation is. You know what kind of abilities they're, they have in order to carry out tasks. Now, how are they going to go about that? How are they going to respond uh, when they have setbacks? How are they behaving at the table in general? Yeah, and this this often includes like a series of role playing cues or accents or uh, the aforementioned catchphrases or, or other affectations that help bring the character to life uh, in the game. Yeah, you usually start with you know four or five of them stolen wholesale from whatever book you were reading. Uh, and then they slowly evolve from there over play, which is really nice because by the time you get, you know, 10 sessions in with a character they're really your own 
Yeah, I, I think that's an important distinction to make here too, right? Is a lot of times what we're talking about is the starting point. Um, and when we do the character creation forge, it's a little wonky because we, you know, we built a level 20. Um, but what you don't want to do here is prescribe who your character will become, you know, after a year and a half of play and then feel like you have to stick along that that rail like don't railroad your own history kind of let that character live in the world that your gm creates yeah like if you're copying a character that has a long story arc in other media i think really what you want to do is kind of pick a snapshot of that character at one point rather than saying, all right, I'm going to start in the same place that that character began. And I'm going to make sure that I end in the same place that that character ended because you don't know what's going to happen at the table and and in the game. There could be very different um, events. Uh, There could be things that sort of affect your outlook, your alignment, even Um, go with one that makes it feel like I'm playing this character at the table, but that gives you enough freedom to branch out if the opportunity arises. Yeah, I think a lot of times playing the early version of the character um, is is a little better because you have an idea of where you could go, but you also, like, that's usually the version of the character that you start to fall in love with, you know, is usually that season one or season three character. Right, before they become overpowered and kind of play it out. <laughs> right. And, like, the season two version of a main character is always terrible because season two always goes and fleshes out the world and it's miserable. All right, so we've already been alluding to it quite a bit, but when you are pulling over these characters, in it, depending on the system that you're playing, you're going to need to change a lot of things because, you know, maybe you're playing in a fantasy setting and there aren't, you know, arc reactors or lasers. So reflavoring is your best friend. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can't really create Overwatch characters in D&D, as it turns out, unless, you, unless you're willing to reflavor uh, heavily. Um, you know, especially when you cross genre, like the mechanics just don't line up nicely typically. Um, and there might even be, you know, like depending on how you're crossing genre, it might be like, you know, this is a a medieval fantasy game and we're talking about, you know, a high future tech character, right? And I want to pull him back. Um, but we could also be talking about like especially adapting from video games where the mechanics of the game, like the interactions don't feel the same naturally um so like we're going to do tracer and we've already done reaper and some other characters from overwatch but overwatch is like a first person moba which is just a very different set of mechanics from D. like D doesn't have true tanks it has sort of support characters and it has sort of damage dealing characters but it doesn't really have a true tank that can actually like command aggression and you know set up shields and sort of like build your team placement around very effectively so yeah you not have, for more than one or two rounds <laughs> right exactly and so you have to sort of accepting that um means that you have to kind of blend the effect of that tank character um across a couple of different roles within fifth edition right but but then again fourth edition maps almost perfectly and you could say that tanks sometimes hold aggro too well (laughs) in fourth edition um and then then those really do come to light and like uh the mechanics interact really nicely yeah sometimes it's even more difficult when you're going from like game to game actually because things 
seem like they're going to line up, but they don't. Like I think a lot of fifth edition players who played 3.5 probably felt this when they were trying to transfer over those old characters. Like the the scale of ability of third edition characters, especially ones that were highly optimized, are just so different from the baseline fifth edition character that just sort of pulling them over, trying to pick the same kinds of things and then realizing that you have nowhere near the same abilities or like things are just playing out completely differently can be very frustrating. So remember that even when the systems seem like they're very adjacent, you're going to need to do a ton of reflavoring or just rebuilding. Yep. And then also you run into a thing too, where especially games that are built around character progression, which is most role-playing games, right? Like you might not be playing in a window um, that has enough power level to really allow for that character to really fully adapt. So you've got to really distill down um, what flavor is most important to you and what flavor needs mechanical support. Yeah, like almost all powerful characters from media are like 20th level in 5th edition, 30th level in 4th edition, like high level, high XP in in Dark Heresy, things like that. Yep. Um you got to tone them down to begin with. Even something like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which seems like is relatively low powered compared to something like Dragon Ball, is still going to be extremely capable in most role play games. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you can drop Buffy into Curse of Strahd without being level like 12 to 14 right she just solo strahd right <laughs> but like maybe makes out first <laughs> and then he kills her and then she you know digs her way out of the ground and then kills strahd right <laughs> um, so another thing that that we touched on reflavoring is the events and motivations that make up your backstory um fitting those into the setting so an example that we have from our own home games like we actually have a series of highlanders that are built into our dark sun game and I have no idea if those are canonical to Dark Sun uh, and that they were adapted by developers or if that's just our home game. Wait, what? The totems? Oh, that's what that is. Yeah, those are Highlanders. That makes sense. Yeah, so, okay, so I guess I'll explain to Ishan too. <laughs> we, we had a PC who was carrying around this like animal carved totem um, and was like very secretive about what it meant and um all he warned us was that if he met somebody else carrying a totem they would have to fight um and so we have that character has since died but we are now running around like athos chasing down these stupid totems because they were stolen and they didn't have the right to steal them from our dead guy <laughs> i mean it was cam who was carrying the totem so i was just envisioning something like street fighter 2 something video gamey where it was like yeah. if we meet we must fight and the rest of us are just in the back cheering you know skinning a chicken or whatever okay so this is so you envision him more as blanca i was envisioning him more as guile (laughs) we were just celebrating (laughs) v-day uh i i think i pictured him more as a a ryu or or ken you know whatever interchangeable but we're definitely talking about street fighter 2 era right oh yeah absolutely okay get your camis and your i don't know the others out of here Cammy's not new. She was in Street Fighter 2. Uh, she was like in Super Street Fighter 2. Okay, well, hold on. I'm talking old school Street I'm Fighter 2. I'm talking Super Street and Fighter, maybe Street 2, Fighter Turbo. 2 Turbo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, who else I was envisioning Jake? him as E-Honda, really. <laughs> just a sumo wrestler wandering the wastes of Athos. <laughs> Hundred hand slapping 
all of the Sorcerer Kings. Given the way he eventually got treated, I think it would be more apt to call him Vega. <laughs> oh, oh, fair. Ouch. Who, of course, is uh, based on Wolverine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so they, they have this Highlander game, right, where when two people possessing these totems meet, they must fight, and then whoever wins obviously takes the other person's totem, and then there is a, an end game to collecting all of the totems that... I don't know, may or may not help save Athos. I, I don't quite understand it. Uh, my character understands even less. It's uh, the prize, right? Yeah. Get all the totems. Uh, you got to collect them all, I guess. It's Pokemon is what this is. It's I know. That's where it really started, I think. <laughs> but they don't fight with the totems. They fight over the totems. <laughs> now, look, I didn't get the Highlander connection, although it is apparent now. Reskinning is amazing. <laughs> Reflavoring is <laughs> ideal because you can keep the baseline underlying mechanics and make it so that nobody has any idea where this came from. Right. Um, and then in terms of reflavoring personality, I think it's important to remember that personality should be cues and not necessarily like a collection of quotes. Um, you know, think of it as more like how would Logan respond to this situation and less like you know, saying bub every third word. So there are potential pitfalls when trying to make this process happen cleanly. Yeah. So one is you need to recognize when characters are about their abilities versus about their personalities. So like, like we mentioned earlier, Jack Sparrow and Sterling Archer, they're both just competent pirates or competent spies. And what makes them special characters is their personality and like, their swagger and demeanor about that right and sort of their quips and and general worldview like you don't really need to be a spy to be sterling archer you just need to be a jerk and very very witty about it yeah you could be a fighter pilot you could uh be a smuggler who hangs out with a big hairy guy and you know ferries people around to planets that don't exist anymore yep (laughs) You know, Jack Sparrow uh, could easily be a bootlegger in the 1920s. Yeah, or like a farmer, you know, who's just (laughs) a drunken, tipsy farmer. (laughs) Okay, yeah, I guess there's that. (laughs) And then another area where you can run into some trouble is sorting the mechanics versus the flavor, Um, especially in games where they attach flavor to the mechanics it could be difficult for other players to separate the idea at the table. Um, so, for example, in Dark Sun, you know, Dark Sun doesn't really have arcane magic, but 5th edition doesn't really have psionic rules, so we've reflavored all arcane magic as psionics. Um, we can do that, right? Like, our group is is pretty good about being flexible about that, but there are definitely players out there who are really going to struggle with understanding that distinction, right? And, like, being able to reinterpret, like, the effect of a fireball is not casting like a, a little bead of bat guano into the center of an area and it's suddenly exploding. It's like manipulating the friction in the air so that fire erupts from it suddenly, right? Like some players will struggle with that. So you, you want to kind of make sure that you're uh, keeping that in mind both as a GM and as a player who has to play alongside others. Yeah, both you and I are playing characters that have psionic abilities. And one thing that's really helped is, in addition to reflavoring the effect of the spell, it's to just rename the spell altogether. 
like I have produced flame. I think you have produced flame as well, mm-hmm. um, which just makes fire in your hand. Um, and it's sort of difficult in your head to keep track of like, okay, am I doing this uh, as a druid? Am I doing this as a, a wizard? Or am I doing this as a psionicist? Like uh, what is powering the magic of this particular spell? You know, because that's important within the fiction of the Darkstone universe. So instead, I've just renamed my Produce Flame to Agitate Matter, which is, I think it was actually the name of a like a psionic discipline, like way back in second edition. You know, I don't know. But, you know, it just, it has that more scientific sounding name that uh, people use to append to psionic abilities. And so mm-hmm. on my sheet, it says agitate matter, uh, you know, 1d8 fire damage, you know, so... I can just call it that and using it at the table, right? I agitate matter. Everyone knows what's going on already without the GM having to be like, uh, is that druidic uh, or is that arcane or psionic? What's going on? Right. Yeah. So I think in that, in that case, it's, it's helpful to focus on the mechanical f- effect first and then apply the flavor that you need on top of that. Um, and like you said, I think renaming is also really important. Like we've done it a couple times in the character creation forge where we dip into barbarian for rage and damage resistance to give a little more like um, staying power to the beefier kind of builds. And a lot of times we call that like combat focus or like armored up or something like that, where it's more about like the mechanical effect that falls on that barbarian less so about going into a mindless rage where you can't be stopped in combat. Yeah, I think that's exactly what we did when we were putting together like a samurai character before we actually had uh, a samurai subclass. Um, obviously, a samurai isn't going into a frothing rage. They are just extremely focused for a minute. <laughs> right. And then another thing you can always fall back on that we can't use in the character creation forge is homebrew, um, which is great to fill the gaps, but uh, also has the potential risk for tonal dissonance. Yeah, there might be a very good reason that the game hasn't allowed players to have that kind of ability just yet. Maybe the designers are still figuring out how to make that work. Or maybe there's just not really a way to make it work within the confines of the game as written. There's a unsurprising lack of machine guns in 5th edition. <laughs> like, So if you're a very machine gun focused like Punisher type character where those weapons are critical to you, it's going to be a little tough to do that. I, I guess I'm going to have to gun for um, Conjure Volley and Hail of Arrows, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> or I guess, you know, my three um, arrows per round, we'll just call that a machine gun volley's worth of arrows. Right. I fired 40 arrows. Three of them have the potential to actually hit anything, you know, like the Punisher. <laughs> but, you know, flip side, like um, the Punisher as a character also doesn't really fit into like knights black agents right like the the concept of the military tough or like the former like special ops guy who is just an expert marksman totally does fit into knights black agents but the reign of bullets punisher character doesn't so much and there's just not gonna be a homebrew that's gonna like really fill that gap because the tone doesn't quite match also like bullets aren't super effective against vampires so why is he even here yeah so we've talked about this before when homebrewing in general but a good rule of thumb is to balance this off the existing mechanics wherever you can so you know going one step beyond simply reflavoring some other ability or giving it a different name is to sort of mirror it right uh, if one ability gives a plus five bonus to 
some skill, then it's probably not that bad to be able to give a plus five a bonus to a different skill that doesn't actually exist. Right. So I think to wrap this up, the important thing to keep in mind is that it's called adapting characters, not carbon copying characters. Um, you want to focus on what is the cool thing about this character and what is it that would make you feel like you're playing that character at the table and really make sure that you've got that core experience covered. And that's going to differ from person to person. So if you are making a character for yourself to play, then you need to come up with the iconic abilities and the personality quirks and the backstory elements that you really want to make you feel like you're playing an enjoyable character. Um, if you're making an NPC, then you know make sure you pick out the most uh, interesting elements or the things that will let your players recognize where this person came from or avoid those if you definitely don't want them to recognize it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's totally it, right? Like, we put forth one way to adapt characters to 5th edition, but the other piece of feedback we get on the Character Creation Forge constantly is, oh, I'm surprised you didn't do something else, right? And it's like, why was there no um, Warlock in that build? Like, it would have fit great. And it's just like, that's not how we see the character, or it's not how we would prefer to play that character. Like, it doesn't make it wrong. Like, it's yours, or we're only building one way to do this character. Uh, there are nine others that are all equally valid. Yeah, we used to do two ways to build each character. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it took forever. <laughs> it was exhausting. <laughs> all right. Do you hear that, Ishan? That is me putting more Warlock into this build. All right. Well, let's work double time because <laughs> we're, we're going to have to build two in the character creation forge. <laughs> oh, two patrons. Oh. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sends Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. Total Party Thrill is also brought to you this week by Archvillain Games. They're having a Kickstarter through October 30th selling character sheet gauntlets, which are kind of like binders for your character sheet. So these things are made of high durability, ABS injection molded plastic with a patent pending design and figurine level detail. It holds your character sheet and basically makes it the most beautiful thing at the table. Okay, so they're like trapper keepers? Because that, that is my reference point for binders. Kind of, yeah. But you slide the sheet in, mm -hmm. it leaves little windows where yeah. you can fill in all of your important stats, and you write in a race on paper, but around the paper is this beautiful, like, molded, designed, uh, potentially painted sheet. Like, all the trappings of your character sheet are now made out of plastic, except for the little areas, those little boxes where you need to write stuff. All the trappings keepings of your sheet. Yes. Yes, yes. indeed. Indeed. How do, how do I do, describe this? They look like the front of um, the third edition books, which is awesome. They look like fantasy tomes. That's right. By tiny windows, we don't mean like an advent calendar, right? They don't, they're not like little paper, paper perforated things that, that open up with terrible chocolate inside. No, no, not like an advent calendar. More like, um, uh, well... <laughs> <laughs> More like a character sheet gauntlet. 
I'm waiting for the version where I can strap them to my to my wrists and wear them like bracers. Real gauntlets. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so the covers for the the gauntlets are each themed around a class. There are four available: fighter, rogue, cleric, and wizard. And each of them hold up to five sheets inside. Did you know Archvillain Games spent over $40,000 on design and prototyping? I did not know that, but I would believe it based on how these things look. Yeah. I mean, we spend that much designing and prototyping each character creation forge built. Well, that is definitely not true. <laughs> it is 100% a lie. But if you choose to get them unpainted, you can get paint kit add-ons from Army Painter. So you can see the most important details of your sheet with the cover closed, or you can open the cover and access the full sheet on the front, turn it over to access a complete spell sheet on the back. You can use a blank sheet of paper or a standard 5th edition character sheet, and they are designed to lie flat on the table and blend nicely with the terrain. The sliding tray holds the sheet and snaps it into place. Sliding trays, all the rage. You can head to archvillaingames.com or search for them on Kickstarter to grab your Archvillain gauntlet today. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, Shane, we are uh, building some sort of video game thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, is this a, a bullet? I'm, ass- I'm assuming this character shoots things because the name is Tracer. Her? Is it her, her name is Tracer? Her name is Tracer. Okay. You know she's not a real girl, right? What do you mean? She's a video game character. Yeah, she's a video game character for okay. sure. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I think there are a lot of people out there who don't understand that she's not a real girl. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Judging from the Wikipedia page. Welcome to Overwatch. <laughs> <laughs> and Overwatch-tober. <laughs> yeah, so Tracer is uh, teleporting in at the last second here for Overwatch-tober. Um, so as a character, Tracer is a British member of Overwatch who suffered a lab accident that unanchored her from time. And now she uses a chronal accelerator to close to control where she is in the time stream, uh, allowing her to teleport forward or rewind time for a few seconds. Isn't that just an OP ability? Uh, It's pretty powerful, yeah. Um, But she's super cool. She's like one of the fan favorite characters. Um, She has low health but high mobility, and she does a ton of damage to backline heroes if she's left unchecked. Um, she has an ultimate ability that's like a massive damage pulse bomb, uh, which seems to recharge like every 12 seconds. Like it, Tracer players always have pulse bomb. So she kind of zips around the battlefield, you know, like teleports in, um, hits like a healer, tries to kill them, and then teleports out sort of before anybody can really get a beat on her, um, which makes her extremely fun to play. And now that I'm playing Overwatch on PC instead of on PlayStation, makes it way easier to play her. <laughs> I'm looking at a picture right now. She has some sort of kind of Tony Stark thing going on, like with an arc reactor in her chest. Yeah, yeah that's her chronal accelerator. Oh, I see. Not in a yeah. convenient place like a wrist. Well, there is kind of a cool thing. Uh, one of the like promo videos for the game is uh, Widowmaker, the sniper character, the evil character, trying to assassinate a politician, and Tracer is tasked with protecting him, and she dives in front of the bullet, but the bullet passes clean through her accelerator, uh, and still... Oh, wait, it's a hole? It's a hole that goes through her? It's a straight-up hole through her, yeah. So she's heartless. She's uh, She has a big heart, but a very small hole through her chest. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Shane, what is the build? So the build is, and this is weird to say, 
Horizon Walker Ranger 11, Scout Rogue 9. Look, I understand that is a lot of Ranger, given that it is us. It is yep. we, I don't remember, who are build, who are building this character. However, I like Horizon Ranger, uh, Horizon Walker. It's it's a lot of Ranger and not as many spell casting classes that have Misty Step as I expected. <laughs> oh, good point. Good point. I mean, so does she teleport constantly? Yeah, so she has three teleports on like a on a regular cooldown, and then I think like every eight seconds she can rewind time, which regains her health back and also puts her back in the position she was like a second and a half previously. Uh, I mean, I will say that like in D anD D, if you're using spells for an ability that you want to spam, you run out of them very quickly. Very quickly, yeah. Which is why I ended up going with Horizon Walker. <laughs> so we'll get to that. <laughs> All right, we'll start with Rogue. We get six expertises four of your choice and then scout uh gives you survival and nature remember of course according to raw you only get those if you didn't already select those skills so don't pick them up you get them for free at level three you get cunning action uh 5d6 sneak attack uncanny dodge and evasion two asis and as a skirmisher you can use your reaction to move uh, half your speed without provoking opportunity attacks when an enemy ends next to you Plus, you get uh, an additional 10 feet of your movement speed. I, I believe that's all forms of movement. Yep. So that creates a... The 5d6 gives you good damage output. And then also with uncanny dodge and evasion and skirmisher, it makes you very hard to pin down to actually put damage on you. Um which is, I think, very fitting for Tracer. Um, there have definitely been some Overwatch League plays where Tracer is just like unhittable uh, and ends up stalling out just by virtue of zipping just out of sight uh, at the last minute. Yeah, Uncanny Dodge is probably one of the tankiest abilities in the entire game. Yep. So then Horizon Walker, which I don't think we've ever used in a build before. We may have gone to like three. Mm, Maybe. Maybe. You know, there's a convenient spreadsheet where you can check to see exactly what we've built in every episode before. So the Horizon Walker gets all the low-level ranger goodies, so favorite enemy, natural explorer, primeval awareness, all the stuff we like dip in for a level or two and, and then bail out of. But uh, that we don't really care about here. Yeah. <laughs> here we're just kind of ignoring that stuff. Um, you'll end up wanting to take either archery or dueling fighting style. Um, you can't dual wield because you need your bonus action for so many things. Um, so dueling is great if you want to use a rapier. Archery is great if you want to use a ranged weapon. What is what weapon does Tracer use? So she has two little like pulse pistols um, that she kind of she does actually dual wield. So we'll talk about like weapons a little bit later because it kind of have to decide what you want to do. And you'll get extra attack, which is multiple opportunities to land that sneak attack damage and a conditional third attack at higher levels. Then you'll get land stride and hide in plain sight, which as they're both currently written are kind of meh abilities, but uh, you can't avoid taking them. So you get them. You'll get third level spells though, including protection from good and evil. Uh, There's that misty step and haste. Yeah. uh, Protection from good and evil is fine. Misty step and haste. Super tracer, super tracer. (laughs) Then horizon Walker gives you detect portal, which I feel like, isn't part of her skill set but makes a lot of sense for somebody who's like caught up in time shenanigans you know like aren't portals sort of like blends of time and space what's the character's name from portal are we going to build that at some point from portal from the game portal 
I never played the game. Portal. Neither have I. So oh. let's not build it. All right. Okay. <laughs> you also get Planar Warrior, which adds an additional D8 force damage uh, as a bonus action. And at 11, it jumps to 2D8. You'll also have Ethereal Step, which allows you to cast Etherealness on yourself for the remainder of the turn as a bonus action. So is that at will? Uh, that's uh, per short rest. Okay. I mean, that's better than like, you know, wisdom mod times per day. Yeah, because you're not going to have that. <laughs> um, yeah, like drop it at the beginning of your turn. And remember, you've got very high movement, especially if you're already hasted. So you're going to be able to move a very long way while ethereal. Yeah, and also you have distance strike, which allows you to teleport uh, 10 feet up to 10 feet before each attack. Um, and also gives you a third attack if you've attacked two different creatures. So that's your conditional third attack. Um, but yeah, you get a ton of movement here, up to an extra 30 tele- teleported feet, which of course ignores um, terrain and any movement restriction conditions on you. Yeah, this is great. Like it's hit someone, teleport, hit someone, teleport, hit someone, go ethereal, walk through wall, done. Mm-hmm. And also, like, if you are somehow, like, reduced to zero movement in that process or you are <laughs> grappled, <laughs> anything like that, you just teleport away. No problem. You're you're escaped. I like these abilities because, you know, usually when you get a movement-focused character, often, like, you're better out in the open and you get sort of grumpy when you're in the close quarters of a dungeon. But that etherealness really lets you, like totally screw with people you're walking through walls you can get through ceilings i love it yep so in terms of feats um so this character build actually works like thematically um best as like a crossbow expert with dual wielded crossbows um i think that fits tracer most but there's too much competition for that bonus action you're just going to end up holding a, a light crossbow in your offhand for no reason so I think it actually works better as just a mobile close-ranged archer. Um, but you can also play it as a rapier rogue. You just kind of, like, your your distant strike ability is going to be much more um, in the face, and you'll probably get a little less value out of the um, scout rogue's skirmisher-like reaction escape. Yeah, I mean, you're never going to go wrong with crossbow expert and then a, what, superior crossbow, the one that does D10? Right. Like in the face, because you can stand in front of someone and hit them in the face with that thing. Yeah, so you can save your reaction then for something else. I mean, there's there's just a little crossover there, um, but you can kind of pick any of those three will work just fine. In terms of leveling order, uh, probably want to start with Rogue 3, then take all of your Ranger levels, and then finish up with Rogue 9. Yeah, and then I like archery fighting style because that'll offset the delay in your ASIs. Yeah. So, Ishan, who is your Tracer? So, my Tracer already has an affinity for uh, hopping across the the veil between worlds. Um, if I was going to play this in an actual game, I would ask the GM if I could play the Eladrin out of the Dungeon Master's Guide. I think that's actually uh, Adventurer's League legal. I'm not actually sure. Don't quote me. But um, it's basically an elf who gets uh, Misty Step once per short rest so you know sort of from birth she has already been able to teleport it's something she's used to her society is used to um you know we don't we don't have ladders to get to the second floor you just teleport up there 
Um, so, you know, when she has undergone her training and when she's out in the world as an adventurer, it only makes sense that she gravitates toward um, being able to make those those short hops. And I would probably flavor almost all of these abilities as a direct extension of her Eladrin heritage. She's really sort of delved into um, her like planar ancestry and realized that, you know, the distance from here to there is actually much, much closer than it seems. They're, they're not actually two separate points in space. Uh, it's just a matter of perspective. So I will shoot you from here, and then I will also shoot you from there, which is, of course, also here. I, I think she's probably like very philosophical about this in a way that maybe also almost makes her sound a tiny bit crazy when she keeps talking about that. I think in combat, she's basically making quips like that. Oh, no, I'm over here. And now I'm I'm over here. But I mean, it was also there. Oh, and you're dead, which is just dead. That's very Tracer-like. <laughs> <laughs> what about your Tracer? So I think my Tracer is a little more of the underhanded route. Um, oh, imagine that. You might you might think of my Tracer as uh, an expert safe cracker. Um, a, a real a real vault uh, teaser, if you will. <laughs> somebody who uh, somebody who has no trouble getting into places uh, where they're not wanted. So um, yeah, joins an adventuring party because there's a there's a big job or a big big score to be had, and you know the the same ability that lets you kind of pass through walls or like sneak into a noble's vault or. Um, you know, rob a, rob a mansion, those types of things end up being pretty useful in a dungeon as well. Uh, as you mentioned, there's no safer place than uh, behind a sturdy uh, stone wall after you've just used all of your attacks. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> gelatinous cube. I'm out. Yeah. Bye. Forget this. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come back for your stuff. <laughs> All right, before we wrap up, we want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. You can also leave us a five-star review on iTunes, and if you do so, we will read your five-star review on the air. Just like this one. This is Extremely Useful by Agent Archangel from Italy. Hey. Yeah. I love this podcast. It's extremely useful for DMs and players, and it gave me a lot of good tips and tricks to be a better DM. Not to mention the interesting builds they make in the Character Forge. Definitely 10 out of 10. Also, I'm DMing Horde of the Dragon Queen, and the Pit of Five Stars is just perfect to cap it. I just need to tweak it a little bit, and bam. You know, I I think I uh, owe this particular uh, reviewer uh, an email back. I think they emailed us, and I haven't gotten back to them yet, which makes me terrible. But I will. It's coming. You're a bad person, but we really appreciate the uh, kind words, Agent Archangel. You mean I'm a bad person? Yeah, you. You are a bad yes, person. Yes, yes, Okay. And you, Agent Archangel, are great. Good. We're on the same page. Okay. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about playing in the Firefly campaign setting. And in the Character Creation Forge? We're building Yosef Bridge. Well, that's it for episode 169 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Total Party Thrill is also brought to you by Kobold Press. Right now, the Tales of the Old Margrave Kickstarter is running. You know, forests and fantasy role-playing games are dark places. 
full of secrets. It's in fact where I bury all the old character creation forge bodies that we never get around to to actually putting together. That's where all those dead doves go. Is it the prestige? <laughs> the, they're just pale pigeons. Nobody <laughs> cares about them. So the Margrieve is an ancient enchanted forest that defends itself from those who come to cut its timber, poach its creatures, or steal its magic. Within its borders, the old ways are strong, and the word of the druids carries great weight. They mostly babble, though, because they talk to plants too much. Mm -hmm. I'm playing two druids right now, and that's pretty much all I do. Yeah, well, that's you in real life, too. Yeah, oh, peyote, you are my only friend. Griffins, dragons, and stranger creatures nest and hunt, undisturbed by humans, dwarves, or other lordlings, until the adventurers show up. The Tales of the Old Margrave Adventure Campaign hardcover is for the GM, with adventures from levels 1 to 10. The Margrave Player's Guide softcover book is a tome of new player options, including new races, druid and ranger subclasses and tools, backgrounds, and forest-themed spells. I love forest-themed spells. I am very excited to see what ranger subclasses they've come up with. Yeah. Because I'm still waiting for a ranger that I want to play. Do you think they're better <laughs> than Beastmaster? <laughs> I I mean, it's low bar. I can't imagine they're not better than Beastmaster. The campaign has already funded, so if you contributed to it, you are guaranteed the Margrave goodness, and you are helping to contribute to amazing stretch goals like cardboard pawns, additional encounters, more subclasses, more battle maps, extra art, and more. And the Don't Split the Podcast Network's very own James Intracasso contributed. I mean, if that's a thing that you care about, you know, because like that guy, I mean, that guy's everywhere. Yeah. Can't, can't throw a splat book without hitting a James Intracasso work. That's right. Wait, wait. Sorry, I'm getting an, an email from James saying that we can't make fun of him anymore. That's called a cease and desist. Uh-oh. Man, <laughs> but I think they also pay for our lawyer. <laughs> True. <laughs> this is complicated. So while we uh, sort out our legal squabbles, you can find out more by heading over to kickstarter.com and searching for the old Margrieve from Cobalt Press. Do it now.